0: It's good to see everybody this morning. We are in our second week of Galatians, and, and we're going to be there really soon, but I just want you to turn for a second to Matthew 7. We, we read a little bit of Matthew 7 last week. I want you just to start there, okay? Go ahead and go to Matthew 7. If you don't have a, a Bible, there should be one around you. I want you to see God's Word for yourself, not just listen to me read it. So there should be black, hardbound Bibles around you. If you don't have a Bible to your name, no matter how old you are, you can have one. Go to Matthew 7 for me, please. If you weren't with us last week, this is our second week in Galatians. As we start in Matthew. Will you read with me again? We read it last week, and I just want to start us here with getting our minds ready with seeing the moment, okay? Look at verse 21 through 23. I think this is some of the scariest texts in all of the Bible. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, hang on 22. I think it's a great correlation and connective connectiveness with Galatians. Jesus says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, right? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness. Many will say to me in that day, go to Galatians, many will say to me in that day. You know, I think about Matthew 7 a lot. Um, as I said, I think if you've never been woken up by the gospel, if, if you've never heard a strong word before, then you've never heard Matthew 7. Matthew 7, no matter who you are, will wake you up very quickly and grab your attention. And you know, as I said to this church many, many times, I used to think um, hell was filled with ax-murdering rapists who hated Jesus. But when we read Matthew 7, these are a bunch of good old church folks. And there's a time in this place where Jesus is setting a scene. He says, there are people that have flooded the church literally born on a pew, have given 10%, have taught Sunday school, have sang all of those songs that we just sang, and they're going to find a moment where, like, Jesus, what, like, didn't I do this and give this and go here? Didn't I, didn't I cook the hog and, and eat the food and sing the songs and give the money and travel over? Like, didn't I do all of these things? And he said, for some, I will look at you and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, this Jesus plus movement that we referenced last Sunday. And so my mind goes as I read Galatians and I think back to Matthew 7, I want you to think of your upbringing. Take a second, we got all the time in the world. Take a second and think about your upbringing, think about your church, think about your family, think about your understanding, think about your friends, think about what you've heard. What you've professed, what would it have been like to be one of the individuals of Matthew 7? Like is there any chance there's an individual here in this room that is a Matthew 7 type individual? That they get to heaven, they go, hey, listen, I didn't murder anybody. I I stayed married to the same woman for 40-something years. I never heard anyone, God. There's a lot of people that are worse than I am. Like, what do you mean I am not welcome here that I never knew you? That is a scary text. It's the same thing that we see from Paul in the book of Galatians where he looks at the people and he says, listen, you are going down a very dangerous road because what you're subscribing to is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're subscribing to a Jesus Plus, And when you do that, it impacts your mind, your eyes, your ears, and your heart will end up impacting your eternity. So let me ask you, if you're an individual, you go, huh, that's a good question. Am I a Paul or am I a Matthew 7? Am I the people of Galatia or am I the people of the gospel? Like, who am I? What have I taught my kids? What have my kids heard? What have they subscribed to? What have I been a part of my entire life? What have I said the gospel is? And here's the question. If you're a note taker, this is where we're at. The whole morning, how can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference between the true gospel and the distorted one. Like if it is so important, if the true gospel leads to salvation, if the true gospel leads to eternity, if the true gospel leads from a life vacant of pain and all glory and close to Christ and all things that are joyous, if the true gospel leads to that, and even an inch of a distorted one leads to damnation, the big gap, how do we tell the difference? Because it seems like it's important to be able to do so. Does it matter? Is that a hill to die on? Remember where we were last week. Paul says yes. And even an inch, even a hair, is it important? Absolutely. Every inch of the gospel is a hill to die on. So remember where we were if you got a short-term memory or you weren't here. Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. He looks at these people who he has broken bread with and been on mission with. He has poured the gospel in. He has taught them truth. He has loved and prayed with them. He has left them. He has heard that people have come into Galatia preaching about God, about Jesus, about glory, but it's distorted, right? And what does he say to the people of Galatia? Verbatim, I am marveled. I am marveled that you have so quickly left the truth in which I poured into you. He says, I'm discouraged, one, that people are telling you something different, but I'm even more discouraged that you're listening to it. If you're a note taker, Jesus plus will always equal gospel minus. Always. Always. And so Paul looks at these individuals, he says, listen, I know you're screaming at me that this is a small issue, but remember last week, small issues creates big problems. So remember last week, what was the small issue? There was many, but one of the examples was circumcision. And so the individuals would have looked at Paul and said, brother, like, chill out. Like, you and I are on the same team. You put your khakis on one leg at a time, just like me. We sing the same songs. We're the same you and I. Calm down. And Paul goes, hey, this is not about circumcision. It is about the message behind what you're saying and what it's going to create in people's hearts. You are creating people of Matthew 7. That's what Paul says. People that think they know Jesus, think about your background. People that think they know Jesus, they like the songs, they like the stories, they love the idea of glory and they have the Bible with their name on it. You're okay with the idea of it, but you do not know him because you have taught them and they have subscribed to something outside of what the truth is. Paul goes, it's a big deal. Matthew 7, I never knew you, you who practice Lawlessness. Small distortions. Kids, eyes on me. Small distortions lead to big problems. Small distortions lead to hell. Small distortions lead to pain. Small distortions lead to struggle. So if you want the highlight and the cliff notes to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is Paul having to reteach. Right? Right? Are you in need of someone reteaching you? Have you come to Eastview? My young families that have come here who have grown up in the church and you got all kinds of fun VBS stories and man, you're getting smacked in the throat with the gospel and you go, bro, this isn't what I've heard. You know how many times I've heard that? Like I grew up in the church, but I don't know what you're telling me. Are you a person of Galatia? I'd rather be a person of Galatia and Galatians than a person of Matthew 7. Have you sat here and said, Hunter, I'm in need of being retaught. I don't know what the gospel is. So what does Paul do? Paul ends chapter 1, starts with chapter 2 with telling a story of the gospel in his own life, saying this is what the gospel looks like In the product in which God has transformed. Just listen. You don't have to flip. Just listen to what he says in the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I'm the least of the apostles, for I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. This is him shedding light on what's important, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, not out of tithing, not out of attendance, not out of circumcision, not out of baptism, not out of what I've done, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. I've labored more abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So Paul grabs their attention, he says, listen, if you want to be able to differentiate, look at my life and how grace has transformed me. Before we pray, I want you to look at chapter 1, 18 through 23, as Paul starts his story. Then after three years, Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter And remained with them for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. 21. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria. And I was unknown by face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. 23. But they were hearing only. This is the picture. He who formerly persecuted us, being Paul, He now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and then they glorified God in me. Let's pray for our time. God, we thank you for today. Lord, as David said, I am overwhelmed by your grace. I am overwhelmed by your truth. I am overwhelmed by your renewal of spirit. I am overwhelmed by your church. There is nothing in life that resembles God's bride. There is no ball team. There is no classroom. There is no family. There is no home. There is no friend group that resembles God's church, and I thank you for this. Lord, in this room, we say each and every week, we are not naive. Lord, I know we have people of Matthew 7 in this room. We have individuals that were brought up and subscribed to distorted gospels. We have people who have maybe even taught them. We have people who listen in other countries and continents and states that are hearing this, that they need to be retaught, Lord, not just in this room, Lord. If if that is their circumstances, that is where their mind, their heart, their soul is this morning, Lord, I pray that they hear the good news, that they put away their foolishness of Jesus plus, because we know that it has been a subtraction to your gospel. Lord, I pray that you save the lost, that you heal the broken, that you uplift the strong. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen. Let's look at Paul's story, 10 verses, hang with me, okay? Chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who are reputation, lest by any means I might run or have had ran in vain. Highlight three for me. Yet not even Titus was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of a false brother and secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out the liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. We're going to come back to six, so highlight it for me. But from those who seem to be something, Paul says, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favor to no man, For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. Verse 7. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, also worked effectively in me to the Gentiles. And when James and Ciphus and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been in me... They gave me and Barnabas the right of fellowship that we should be the Gentiles and they to be circumcised. Ten, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing in which I was also eager to do. How can we tell a fake and distorted gospel versus a true one? If a true one leads to salvation and a distorted one leads to hell, if it is so easy to subscribe to, if there's so much blurriness in a place like this in 2021 where someone can live their entire life going to church, giving money, teaching Sunday school, singing praise songs and not know they're a Christian, How can we tell the difference? Well, Paul says, in my life, it is very easy. Just look at the body of work. What did the message that you hear, what did it produce? So Paul is telling a story of what God has done in his life. And he goes, listen, if you want to differentiate between a fake and distorted gospel and a true one that leads to glory, just look at what the message has produced in the individual. Hang on my words. There is no greater evidence that God is good, that God is real, and that he lives with inside someone than looking at the life of the individual who professes has been transformed by God. That's a lot of words. Your life is your greatest argument. Your life what God has done in you is the greatest representation that not only is God real, not only that he is good, but the gospel that you prescribe to is accurate. He says, look at my body of work. So Paul's autobiography, the story in which we see at the end of one, the beginning of two, is his greatest argument. Look at chapter one I'm sorry, 11. This is my point. Look at 11. When Paul goes to the people of Galatia, what does he say? But I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. It's supernatural, right? For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught by it by man, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say that the true gospel transforms us supernaturally and then that supernatural comes into us and lives with inside of us. Paul looks at the people of Galatia and says, if I am wrong, brother, how do you describe my life? How do you explain it? Paul says, like, if I'm telling you something that is not true, remember who I am. I have persecuted the church I'm the definition of dirty. I'm the definition of nasty. I have done everything wrong that you can do. If I am not telling you something that is true, how do you explain my life, right? Look at the words. I want you to flip. Go to Philippians. Look at Philippians. I want you to see the example. Philippians 3. Follow me to Philippians 3. Also Paul. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews I am, concerning the law and the Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, and blameless. Paul says, listen, brother, I've tried it all. I've tried both. I am telling you that a gospel founded on what Christ has done alone versus all the things that you can add to it, grace saves. If it doesn't, how do you explain my life? I want you to humor me and play a game. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine a world that God does not exist. There is no thought of God, there is no Bible, there is no church, there is no praise, music, or fellowship, there is no heaven or glory or hell. Every man and woman is born to life. You might get 50. You might get 90. I don't know how many years you're given, but we all live, we're all born, and we all die, and that is life. And it's not so detrimental because we don't know anything other than that. But there is a moral code, and that moral code is try to be nice. Don't go around murdering people. Don't eat your brother Don't run around on your spouse. Don't steal from your neighbor. Like, be accountable. Have a civilization in society, right? That's the world that you live in. Now, I want you to take that world that you live in, and I want you to compare it to yourself in the world you live in today. Is there that big of a difference in your life? If you took Hunter Jones and put him in that world where there is no God, but there is a moral code to do your best and be kind, is Hunter Jones any different in that life than he is in the life where there is a God, where I profess to know that God, and I would say that that God lives within me? Is there that big of a difference? Is your life evidence I mean, write that down at the top of your Bible. Is your life evidence? Does someone look at your life and they hear the words that you speak about Jesus and they go, man, there is no way that what David is saying is not true because David's life cannot be explained if it wasn't. You would think if the creator of the universe That created the heavens and the earth, the dirt that you walk, and man and woman who walk on it, lives within you. You think your life would be pretty different. You think that it would be unexplainable. You think that it would be supernatural. You think that it would be hard to explain. Paul looks at these individuals and they're looking. They're listening to what Paul says, but they're also listening to these false teachers. They're trying to make sure, I think I need to do these things. I think I need to be circumcised. I need to go here. I need to be this. I need to add all of these things to what Christ has done. And Paul goes, listen, look at what I'm saying to you. If I wasn't saying the truth, how do you explain my life? And the people look at him and say, I can't. Does your life, what God has done in you, the transformation in you, been so drastic that people would listen to what you have to say? How do we know that God is real? Look at his body of work. Look at his body of work. The true gospel transforms in a supernatural way. Here's the truth. Work's Jesus plus a moral code, our best effort, box checking is pretty obvious to spot versus someone who is filled with his spirit. Works-based salvation does not produce supernatural living. Secondly, go back to Galatians. Paul also tells us that you can tell the difference by where the gospel points. He says, one, if you want to be able to tell the difference between truth and and a lie, a distortion that leads to damnation versus the truth that lives to salvation, he says, listen, look at the body of work. What is that message producing in the people that are subscribing to it? Second, he says, you can tell the difference by what the message points to. Look back at verse 6. I told you to highlight it in chapter 2. In verse 6, Paul says, But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. One thing that we always see in a message that is driven by Jesus plus do all of these things and then you are right with God. Whenever that message is preached, it always points to man, not what Christ has accomplished. And I want you to hear this. No matter how kind you are, how generous for you are, how humble you try to be, if that is what you have subscribed to, of doing all of these things to become right with God, there's no way to avoid you getting the glory. If salvation comes from your effort, man will always receive the praise and you will make much of you and little of God. And so this is what you grew up hearing. This is what I always say in those waters. Do not come up to me and say, I am so proud of you. And that is what you've heard your whole life. Have you heard that little Jeremy, I always pick on Jeremy for some reason, little Jeremy He's given his life to God. I'm so proud of him, right? As if Jeremy has done something. Congratulations on the baptism. I'm so proud of you, right? And the vice versa on when you struggle. When you struggle, what do you hear? Stop. Try harder. Fix this issue. Do more instead of repent and fall to Christ for forgiveness For so many of us, when we look at reteaching, for so many of you were raised in church and you have never heard, nor do you know the meaning of the word repent. Isn't that strange? You talk about repent like it's some theological thought, like it's waves above my head, like, Hunter, I'm not gonna jump into those depths. It's in every book of the Bible. And for so many of us, you grew up and you never heard this. You know why you've never heard the word repent? Because it's all about you. If you struggle and your marriage is failing and you're struggling as a parent and your mind is drifting and your heart's not there, what are you told? Try better, do better, be more. You haven't heard repent, fall to your knees, pray God, forgive me. You haven't heard these things. How many of them am I speaking to of Matthew 7 in this room? Hunter, all I have been told is I'm so proud of you for your walk. How many of you have heard the statement or said it? I've heard it so many times and it makes my stomach hurt each one. Hunter, my grandmother, if anybody deserved heaven, it was her. Do you know how foolish that sounds? Your grandmother does not deserve heaven. Your husband does not deserve heaven. Your child does not deserve heaven. You cannot earn heaven. You do not deserve heaven. And when you have grown up being taught that, you are one of Matthew 7. And you will find yourself hearing, I do not know you. The gospel is that we cannot get right with God. That we do not deserve glory. That we cannot do anything to become in his good sight. But repent behind our knees and pray for God to save and to forgive us lastly Paul says one if you want to know the distorted versus the true look at what it produces the body of work look at what the message points to Christ or you and then lastly which is the easiest way to tell the difference what does the message give us good news or bad is it good news or is it bad news? For everyone who is young and children, eyes on Pastor Hunter. Gospel equals good news. Jordan and, and Hannah and Carson and I were just talking. They've been going over this with the youth. Can the youth look at us and tell us what the gospel is? It's very easy. This is what I taught to my kids as young as Lila. Gospel equals good news. And if anybody says to you, well, give me more. Do you know what you tell them? What's so good about it? And here's what's good about it. Jesus Christ came to earth to rescue. He is full man and full God. He died for our sins. He paid the, our price. He raised, rose on the third day for to assure us of salvation. And he will return to take home those he calls his. That is the good news that the gospel points to in all ways. Here's the bad news. None of you, including myself, can do any of those things. I am not full God, full man. I did not come to pay a price or rescue anybody. I am not going to rise on the third day. I did not create heaven and earth. I cannot bring anyone to glory. I did not die for anyone's sin. Baptism is not going to make me right. 10% is not going to make me right. Missions is not going to make me right. Coming to church is not going to make me right. Circumcision is not going to pay enough of my debt. This is the greatest example that you and I can hear. That is the bad news because it will always be not enough. Whenever the gospel points to man, that is bad news, not good news. The gospel always points to God being the one who saves. Christ, if you're a note taker, Christ is the ultimate nullifier. All religions all across this world can be summed up with different character names and different histories and different stories, but basically the same makeup. And that is this, is that there is a God In that there is an unworthy creation, and then that unworthy creation is given a lifetime to try to get on good standings with that God for eternity. And people will come to me, and they'll say to me, Hunter, you know, this God that you believe in, I get in this conversation a lot with some really smart people. And they'll come to me and they say, Hunter, this God that you believe in, this God that you teach and preach on, this God that you're sold out for, did you know that there's hundreds of gods and myths and stories that resemble the Bible, that resemble creation? Did you know that this God thing is not a new idea? And you know what I tell them? Yes, I do know that. And there are a lot of myths and there are a lot of stories, but there is only one Christ. And there's no religion on earth out of all of those stories and all of those belief systems. There is not one that checks out to where there is a Savior and the Son of God coming. All of it is man looking up, trying to make a way up to God in his good standings, where Christianity is God coming down to earth to take man back up with him. We are separated in any other belief system, in any other story, in any other religion, Christ is the good news. Anything else is easy to spot. I want you to think about that. Anything else is easy to spot. And I love, and I've I've shared this with you before, um, I wasn't really brought up in a denomination because I wasn't really brought up in a church. And so some of you guys will come to my office and you won't speak to me about Jesus You won't speak to me about God. You won't speak to me about gospel. You'll speak to me about denomination. And all of your conversation and all of your thoughts and all of your beliefs are really about what you heard growing up. And whatever you heard growing up, that is gospel truth. Your denomination is your gospel truth. And so everybody has a little different lingo, and everybody has a little different language. And a little different story and what you think is accurate. And there's a moment where Paul goes, hey, listen, I don't care about what denomination you went to. I don't care who your grandfather is, who your mother is, who your youth pastor was when you were little. There is only one gospel, and it transforms those he calls his. His body of work is the evidence. And it always points to him. It doesn't point to who you are, what you can do, how you can make things better or right. And then lastly, it's always good news, not bad news. Because when the gospel you hear is always pointed to you, how you're special, how you're great, how you're able, how you're capable, what you should and should not do, that's not good news, that's bad news. And what Paul says, if you grew up hearing this, get ready for Matthew 7. You are a man, you are a woman, you are a senior, you are a child of Matthew 7. And there will be a day where you learn very quickly that you went to church and you gave and you sang and you enjoyed. Did I not profess in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. I never knew you. You spent a lifetime trying to add things to what was already given to you. Jesus plus always equals gospel minus always as we close here i want you to see in romans 5 i want to read this to you before we close i want you to flip there okay and we're going to we're going to pray together i want you to see it though go to matthew 5 i don't care how old you are romans 5 Everybody calm down, everybody's going to, everybody's going to, did you say Matthew? I did, I did say Matthew. Romans 5, I'm sorry, I was testing you, I was testing you. Romans 5, look at verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to see that. While we were still without strength. So that means we're not able, we're not capable, we're not deserving, right? When we could not do, there was no addition to the gospel because we had nothing left in us. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for the righteous man will one die, die Yet perhaps for a good man, someone will even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. As we pray here, I would love for you just to self-reflect on your life. Figure out, pray to God, who am I? Am I transformed? Is my life unexplainable? Do you people see supernatural in my life, something that can't be explained because it is the gospel living inside of me? Have I subscribed to a message that points upward, not downward? Do I love the good news and not the bad news? What have I heard? What do I believe? What have I professed? Paul is begging the people of Galatia not to be people of Matthew 7. He is begging the people, pleading, do not be the people of Matthew 7. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray for our church this morning. We know that when we think of distortions, we think of huge, obvious, glaring distortions. There is no God. Jesus did not exist. Satan is not the enemy. There is no heaven. There is. We think of big, obvious, glaring distortions. That's not what the book of Galatians is about. Lord, I see when I read your scriptures, this was just swept under the rug facts, swept under the rug thoughts that were added to the scriptures, added to the gospel, which would create turmoil and deception and damnation in people, people that your creation loves, subscribe to a gospel that would only bring pain and struggle to their life. I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. What I pray, if anybody in this church right now has lived a lifetime just subscribing to a denomination, like whatever they said is good enough for me, or they subscribe to what their parents said to them. Whatever he said is good enough for me. Or whatever felt good or whatever sounded right. But if the, Christ, the Jesus Christ gospel of salvation comes through faith, of the blood that was shed for our sins what was accomplished on the cross, the price that was paid, having faith in that and faith alone to the grace and mercy that was poured into us. If that is not what we believe, Lord, I pray no matter how old, no matter their life, no matter what people would think, Lord, I pray that right now, right here, we find the altar. We find our chairs with our eyes closed going, God, this is not the Jesus I know. Save me. Save me. I believe, I profess. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and your salvation. Lord, save me. In your precious name, the church says in harmony, amen.